This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. The COVID-19 lockdowns has had a lasting effect on downtown Boston. While neighborhoods such as Back Bay or Seaport have largely snapped back to pre-pandemic activity levels, those areas primarily dominated by commercial office buildings, like the financial district, have been hit hard by the enduring embrace of remote work. The troublingly high vacancy rates in downtown office space comes in stark contrast to strong demand for residential housing from those looking for urban convenience and amenities. This mismatch between the dearth of residential inventory and surplus of commercial property has led the city's developers and leaders to explore the possibility that more could be done. To that end, in July, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu announced a residential conversion pilot program that the city hopes will incentivize developers to convert underutilized downtown commercial buildings to much needed housing, giving new life to the once bustling financial district. Could this creative solution, which includes substantial tax incentives and expedited project approvals, be enough to bring money and talent to the table? And what can such a program teach City Hall about proactively encouraging investment in new residential stock across the city? My guest today is Arthur Jamison, Chief of Planning at the Boston Planning and Development Agency. Mr. Jamison oversees the agency's planning, regulation of major development, and management of the agency's 20 million square feet of property in the city. He will share with us his views on Boston's changing commercial and residential landscape and explain how Mayor Wu's downtown office to residential conversion pilot program endeavors to help fill Boston's erstwhile bustling financial district with new residents eager to share the city's energy and amenities. We'll discuss the profile of the buildings targeted by the program, the incentives on offer for willing conversion developers, and the projected success for a program that could be a model for other neighborhoods and for similar cities around the world. When I return, I'll be joined by Chief of Planning for the Boston Planning and Development Agency, Arthur Jamison. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by Chief of Planning for the BPDA, Arthur Jamison. Welcome to Hubwonk, Arthur. Thanks so much. Thrilled to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I'm I'm pleased to have you here. I, I'll say this. I'll, I'll I'll confess at the start. I'm a 30 year resident of Boston, uh, so it's a real thrill for me to to talk with someone who is uh, helping to uh, plan uh, to make the city even more vibrant and a livable city. Um, uh, we're going to narrow our focus on our conversation of planning. Uh, primarily on uh, Mayor Wu's new pilot program uh, labeled Downtown Office to Residential Conversion Pilot Program. Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to talk about. But before we get to the nitty gritty, let's start at the beginning. You're our inaugural chief of planning. Say more about you, your background, and this this role. Sure. Again, thanks for the invitation. I love to talk about planning topics whenever there's an opportunity. So I'm I'm a 30-year veteran of planning and development work, starting um, sort so of starting in the on the private side, uh, and then uh, spending a lot of my career in public work. Uh, in just to be very specific, starting out uh, at a, a real estate um, feasibility shop in in Miami, Florida, almost uh, specifically 30 years ago, uh, joining the Boston Housing Authority to work on the redevelopment of uh, the first phase of multi of of the um, mixed finance redevelopments of, of public housing, Orchard Park, Mission, Maine, and and the work at, in South Boston on West Broadway. Working in this agency uh, as a young man, I spent years working for the District of Columbia Department of 
the deputy mayor's office where we worked on uh, baseball, the siting of this facility, uh, the new national stadium and a series of other uh, major planning work in the city center USA or C city center DC, I should say. Um, and then um, back here in Boston, working at Massport uh, in, in private industry, uh, and then uh, joined the Deval Patrick administration. Uh, most recently, I spent about the last 10 years, about seven of them, uh, with Mayor Duggan of Detroit, part of the recovery from the from the bankruptcy. And then I spent two years in the Biden administration as the acting assistant secretary for planning, for community planning and development, after which I joined the uh, Wu administration. Wonderful. That's quite a resume. Uh, you've seen, I'm trying to keep track of the ones I could, the cities I could count, Miami, D.C., Detroit. At, uh, and Boston. And Boston, of That's course. It. So I'll give you, I'll tee this up, let you hit it out of the park. If, compared with other cities, what do you see as some of uh, Boston's strengths, you know, again, from a planning perspective? And what are some of its vulnerabilities? You know, you mentioned some substantial cities, quite a range from Detroit to D.C. Absolutely. So what's unique about Boston is the, we have, other communities have meds and eds that they really rely on to help strengthen the, the economic life of the city. But but Boston's meds and eds, plus its sort of historic presence in the fire sector, finance, insurance, real estate is so strong and it's been going on so long and is led by some of the leading institutions, not just in the United States, but in the country, uh, has been a key part of our competitive advantage. Uh, and I think when you saw significant investment in in biotech in our community, maybe over the last 15, 20 years, you've always seen some of that growth really accelerate. Um, again, the, the competitive advantages of Boston is where some of the smartest uh, and, and most experienced practitioners in those parts of, um, of the uh, sort of science-based um, leadership are located. And so for that reason, people come here for that, not just the, the people who are here, but the sort of network of institutions and institutional relationships that make, that make to sort of produce those ideas. Uh, that's why they're here. Uh, and that's why we're the leader. Uh, other cities have different advantages, but that's ours. Um, I think if there's a thing that uh, maybe a, a sort of sensitivity that we have. It's that um, we've had, again, the fire sector and, and sectors like it have been so strong here for so long that as office space and the way that it's used has become more of a uh, sort of a different kind of venture. It, it, the whole topic needs a little bit of a rethink. Uh, not, and I think we're beginning to do some of that with our pilot program. Sure. So we, uh, you alluded to some vulnerabilities. Let's say if we are, you called the fire sector, which they may be a little more footloose or able to work remotely. I, I don't want to mm -hmm. give away the bury the lead here, but again, as a resident here, we all lived through COVID. Boston was a ghost town for a while, and and but we saw uh, neighborhoods snap back. I live on Beacon Hill, Back Bay, South End, North End. Boom! You can barely move. It's so busy. Of course, the, the exception there is downtown and the financial district. They're still really hurting. Again, I, I, I don't want to answer the question for you, but why do you think they have not snapped back the way the rest of the city has? Well, it's a combination of things. As I as you think about your, the experience you're describing, a lot of it comes from programming of the uh, first floor commercial density of population and and office. And I think if you go to a place that's really, um, again, hard to walk around, uh, you see a, a greater mix of residential and commercial uses. Uh, the financial district, uh, with exception to a few hotels uh, and, and other uses, really 
uh, doesn't have quite that density of population. As you say, you, you walk around Back Bay on one side of Boylston, you've got you've got office, and then a couple blocks further, you're in Back Bay. Or if you're uh, spending time in the seaport, you, again, there's a different mix of residential uh, and commercial uses, uh, and you know a lot of focus on um, programming that brings people together in those places. Um, and I think the financial district uh, hasn't had that uh, exact uh, experience, and so that's one of the reasons it's different. Uh, and so I think that's also one of the reasons why it's been a place we've focused our energy uh, in thinking about, is it possible in a few places to create some new um, residential opportunities for people? Um, that's it's one of the reasons we spent time uh, we, and are spending time now um, thinking about it. Well, I'm glad you, you pointed that fact that I think the magic of Boston is we do have offices and, and people living right side by side, densely populated. Uh, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this idea, but of course, if we're going to talk about if, if we're going to gripe about Boston, we're going to have to admit it's a very expensive place. There's just not enough yes. housing and uh, we're all on top of each other. Here on Beacon Hill, there's no room to build, not in Back Bay. So, you know, we, we have to make the most of what we have. Um, you're a planner. Um, again, this, this may be a difficult question to answer generally, but um, is finding new places for people to live in Boston a priority? Meaning we've got, we're hemmed in, where can we go? Is that the, what a planner uh, for the city does? Oh, you're absolutely sending me off into a very interesting okay. uh, area, which I don't want to dwell in, but we are working very hard to create more as of right opportunity for the development of housing. I think um, I'm you know, I'm proud of the work of my colleague, uh, Sheila Dillon, on the affordable housing production that she does. But we also believe that supply and creating more supply is going to be part of the solution to you know, reducing prices or keeping prices more moderate. So in that uh, so in that way, the rezonings that we have done, undertaken in a, in a few neighborhoods and are planning to push even further uh, in other neighborhoods of the city, we recently have spent time re rezoning uh, Charlestown, East Boston, New Market, Mattapan, a wide range of different neighborhoods. And as we go into the new year, we'll be doing a lot more of that. So to your point, there's lots of places where growth can happen. One of the issues we struggle with is that growth, we, through our regulation, in some ways and some places are one of the limiting factors that creates ambiguity and then people have a harder time investing. So maybe for another podcast we can talk about yeah. zoning, but we're but it's exactly what we do is finding new places to grow. Well, that's good. So far, you said supply and demand is what drives prices and regulation stifles supply. So you're singing our song here on, on the podcast. So let's go, let's focus on the particular program that we wanted to discuss, which is the conversion of office to residential. At a high level, what, what are the goals of this program for those listeners sure. who are new to this? Just describe in broad strokes what, it, what it's supposed to do. So it's important to step back a little bit and talk about uh, why. And I think you actually began the conversation, I think, in a, the perfect place in the sense that what you have is parts of the city where there's a mix of residential and commercial places that people work, places that people live, were some of the first places to bounce back. And so as we think about what's going to help change the character of some of, some of the neighborhoods that didn't have post-COVID the same kind of uh, bounce back, it would be to say, um, let's have a, a, a little bit more residential in those places, if possible, or at least invite the opportunity. Now, now normally that would be a that's a conventionally a good thing, but uh, some of it has to do with some of the, the the softness in in the occupancy of office buildings. Frequent focus groups that we would host or development interests we would talk to would describe my building is fully leased. 
but there's really, I've got a large number of small tenants. Many of them can work from home. There's just been a, a lot less people and, and fewer people and less foot traffic uh, in, in and around my building and fewer people kind of pass carting into the building. So I really need to think carefully about what my next move with my building is. We had a lot of that sort of feedback. We also began to have some owners approach us about conversion and owners also describing the comparables that we're seeing in the market where there are some older, less well-appointed buildings are beginning to trade at lower prices. Uh, And so, frankly, we saw an opportunity. Now, approaching it from another direction, our values really as a city are like, let's create this density, let's create opportunities for people to live together, let's create opportunities for people to live near transit, let's create a a more of a range of times of day and times of uh, the week that our neighborhoods are being used. Residential is is one of the ways to do that. So maybe there's an opportunity to maybe to, to put it more simply, there's a, or to put it simply, there's a if there's a, a a sort of asset class that's being uh, undervalued uh, that has a chance to be converted to residential, oh, a number of our different um, a number of different um, values we have intersect. Uh, the chance to take a historic building that's a key part of the city's history that may have a, a footprint that's would be great for office in 1870, but isn't great for office now, but is compact enough. Uh, it doesn't have the big floor plates that current office does that might have 40%. Um, use or even less occupancy, um, let's talk to that owner and see if there's a chance. And if there's a program we could say to them, hey, as you're looking at these other trends, look at this as an opportunity. We've been pleased with some of the response we've received. Well, wonderful. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to hear it's both reactive, you're responding to the market, but proactive. You're knocking on doors and asking. Absolutely. Oh, building. So describe, oh. Our, oh, go ahead. Uh, let me lob another easy question for you, which is, Look, we've got skyscrapers, shiny ones, very proud of, but we also have some older buildings. This is Boston. So describe for our listeners, what does a what does a somebody, a building you might knock on the door and say, look, this would be much better used as a residential building. What does it look like? Absolutely. So while, while you're on that topic, we are seeing some amazing new office being built. And, and that's actually part of the dynamic as well is the places that people want to come back to are places where they've extreme, they're deeply amenitized and have every kind of feature you can imagine. Also have great environmental credentials, um, the passive house or high lead certification. So, um, so that's a that's a dynamic. And people who are coming back say, well, I'm I could actually get a really expensive sublease space that's really much higher end of the market. Um, but back to your point. So yes. Um, uh, we're an old and historic city, and so we have an, oh, like office spaces that um, run the full gamut. At one end of that gamut are a series of older buildings from the beginnings of the need for office space uh, that have smaller f- floor plates uh, that make them easier to convert to residential, um, and uh, they're they're not nearly often not as tall as the other buildings and they lend themselves to some degree to to that kind of that kind of use. Meanwhile, people who have downtown or residential that's close to employment centers often often talk about the having that proximity, having the benefit of the first floor businesses often have the benefit of not just having during the week business, but they might have weekend business or other kinds of a more diverse base of of business for the work they're doing. So we're finding that these the smaller, older office spaces uh, are places where people have been responding pretty robustly to, to our work. There's also a, a study um, 
that that we had commissioned that sort of identified four plate four, four, sort of best four plates and named about I think it's 60 buildings in our uh, downtown that they thought would be well. Uh, suited to to meet those kind of four-point standards. So um, again, most of them older and in the financial district, although they're all, all over the city uh, and in areas adjacent to like the weather district, et cetera. So we're, you, you've identified, again, proactively, you've done a study, sounds great, to where the, those, what's right, what's the low-hanging fruit, to use a, a tired cliche. When, when you talk to uh, owners of these buildings uh, that you've identified and say, look, consider this might be the highest and best use of this building, what are the obstacles? Uh, we're going to talk about what incentives this program has. What, what sure. are you for those? Prioritize for it. Is it, of course, everybody wants to turn a profit. This is mm-hmm. planet Earth, uh, but there's regulations, there's environmental concerns, there's... Um, perhaps uh, a, a need for um, affordable housing. There's all, all kinds of incentives. Why don't you both first lay out the concerns and then how this program is going to address those concerns? Sure. So many of the owners are, so I guess I'd say the issues the owners talk about, I've t- touched on them a little bit before, but they include things like, well, my building is partially occupied by tenants who are very, use the space a lot. And, and then I have other tenants who don't use the space. My leases are, are going to end in the next year or so. They have a real, they have a real kind of risk reward calculation to make. Well, if the office market comes back, and it may, will it come back with at the same rates? Will it come back as strong as it was before, or will I have maybe a re-up from one of my tenants that gets about 50% of my space, but not the other ones in the space I'll have to lease in order to occupy it will be at a very low rate. I won't be able to make my project work anymore. They're they're having those kinds of risk reward conversations and increasingly because of the what's happening to the the comparable sales and comparable values, their banks are also and lenders and equity participants are also saying they're all having to say like, should we stick it out and try to re-lease up as an office, uh, especially when there's brand new space coming on board, or should we think about doing something else? And so so th- those are some of their issues. Um, I'd also say many of them have been, say, operating an office building for a long time, and or the building's been in office for 100 years, 50 years. And so they're thinking, well, I'm going to enter a brand new marketplace where I'm not an experienced office op- residential operator, I should say. Do I really want to convert to a brand new use that will be expensive and, and potentially time-consuming, and maybe there'll be permitting risks, et cetera? And I've got this kind of unique situation. So that's that we get a lot of that. And we've had a lot of that ex- experience. If it's all right, I can tell you how we've tried to address some of yeah, those things. Yeah, that's exactly. I'm sure our, our, our listeners are like, okay, why, when the city knocks on my door, why would I convert? Uh, if, if there's a chance I might sure. not have to change a da- our darn thing. Sure. So it might be easy to, easiest, I'm tempted to listen, the, the ability to save money is obviously a very significant, and a, an abatement of 75% of your taxes for 29 years is a very significant investment. I also want to say, like, for the city, uh, this city, uh, I, I've worked here um, before in a time with the, uh, the assessor and the CFO. They were coming, they were, the city was in the late stages of a, what was honestly a recovery from uh, a very different kind of uh, situation. And now the city's in a, a much, much stronger position. Uh, but this is really an unprecedented action for us to offer these kinds of abatements. Um, not since maybe the uh, 50s and 60s has there been uh, anything that's quite like it, what we're taught proposing here. Um, and so, in that vein, I would say that there are 
attracted by the abatement. But the thing about the abatement that's probably one of the reasons why it's appealing um, has to do with the fact that there are other ways to subsidize an activity you want. Um, a lot of them have really high transaction costs where you need a lawyer, I need a lawyer, you need a lawyer, we need uh, a sort of a bank style underwriting. We're going to turn it into a big check and then a moment where I'm giving the big check to someone. Um, whereas the tax abatement really is like it's an avoided cost and it obviously has its own sort of legal documentation required, but it has a little bit less uh, friction in terms of making the transaction uh, occur because it's an avoided cost that goes right to the net, net operating income of the uh, developer. So it's easy easier for them to work with. And I wanted to use that as a point of entry because uh, when we've talked to developers, other things they said have been important where we highlighted this as a organizational priority. We hired a talented uh, person to, to help us work on it and provide the kind of SWAT team response that many of those owners have really needed. Um, and then we've created a, and trying to pilot a kind of truncated approval process. One of the concerns have, has always been well, making it through the city process can be very time consuming. We tried to um, shrink it down for people who are doing these, um, for doing these conversions. Uh, and so people have found that appealing uh, as well. And we've also baked into the role that our new um, team leader for this plays a little bit of an ombudsman role where after you get an approval, they're also going to work with the owners to help them close the gaps on all the other kinds of permits and approvals required to do the project. We recently piloted a new ombudsman position for regular projects, which have already been finding to be valuable. So uh, putting a little bit of that scope into the work has been helpful. So basically, it's the money, but um, people are attracted by their resources but we think they're going to stay for the, the individualized attention we're able to give these transactions. So, so if I'm summarizing the incentives, uh, you glided over the, the detail, which is 29 years of a reduced property tax, but mm -hmm. it's going from a building tax rate, which is much higher, right, than the residential, and for 29 years. But the transaction, as you say, the sort of all-in cost of converting from one to the other, you've taken most of those costs away. Of course, the city will have to absorb the you know, mm -hmm. the cost of the foregone tax, right? I guess you've made yep. that regulation, but also you fast-tracked their approval process. Have you changed the regulations at all? Has, in a sense, what do they call it, a stretch codes, where if you were to have built something brand new, these are the priorities, these are the constraints. And But if you're doing a conversion, it's not as severe. Describe for our listeners. Sure. Know, what, what does that look like? So maybe to answer the, one of your questions in there was, so we actually uh, think that we need to reform or modernize is more accurate, uh, modernize our um, what we call Article 80 review, uh, which is when you have a larger project that comes in, what the process it goes through to, to get the approval of this board here at the city. We've been, we have a, a vendor team and a, a sort of uh, organizational team that's working right now to update and modernize Article 80, which is the part of the code that determines how you know we measure impact when you apply to do a project. Um, so. The good news is that this is this pilot is allowing us to try out a few things, but we actually have a reform and modernization plan uh, ongoing for the overall process right now. That is, it's expected to reach a key milestone in the second quarter of this year and hopefully be wrapped up by the summer, because um, it's important that we actually 
uh, fix the over underlying uh, and modernize the underlying approval system. Uh, but on this project, we've been um, we've been trying to pilot that. One of the challenges is there's a a process of filing documentation about your project and identifying what it will look like, what impacts it will have, what mitigation needs to be proposed to, to mitigate those impacts that's, that can be very complicated and, and can slow down some things we want. So we've been working to reform that. And I think the sort of piloting we're doing with the office to residential is going to be a, a sort of a, a way we test some of our ideas. Wow, more music for our ears here on the podcast, modernizing City Hall and the and the approval process. So good for you. Uh, this sounds very good. So we're talking about a program that, as you say, is a pilot program. This was begun or proposed or passed in July. We're now almost at the end of the year. What's been the response? There's good ideas, but ultimately, if they're not embraced, they're just good ideas. So how, how sure. is it received by the development community? Sure. So just a little uh, sort of timeline. So it was announced in July. Um, we then had about three months of to finalize our to finalize our sort of program design. And so in October, we we posted the applications and began to invite applicants. So as of today, uh, about 60 days in, we've got we've got four applications, a little a little under 200 units. Our goal for this initial round was in the around 300 units. So we may do better than that, but we. We've got four applicants. We've got 10 or more people uh, engaged with us in considering making applications. And so and I can name a few hundred other units out there that that are being debated and discussed among those 10 applications. So I think we're feeling good about the number. If we have a couple more of the applicants we're expecting, we will probably exceed the 300 units the mayor identified as a goal. Again, we began to see in November some of the, when we were doing our focus groups with development interest, they would talk about how when there begin to be smaller office buildings that are sold at, at a specific price point, that's when you'll start to see people really take a look at the program. And so between the developer conversations and the bank banks, who have also been uh, great uh, and engaged with us as well, who are also saying to themselves, well, my some of my value is beginning to go away if these valuations stay what they are. They're beginning to engage with us as well. So I think we're feeling okay about it. We'd like to I'm expecting to, that we're going to get get more, but I think we're right on right where I was hoping we'd be uh, about 60 days in. I think it would be a sign of something. It would be it's a good sign that we've got uh, the level of, of application and the level of the other 10 strong leads we have out there make me feel good about early next year and the kinds of projects that we'll be able to go forward. So what you're saying, those early implementers on the bleeding edge, perhaps they're visionaries and they anticipate the future, but ultimately it may be financial incentives by the bank saying, are, if we don't convert, its value as a office building will be substantially diminished. And if we, before the uh, the knife falls, we want to, you know, that's, that's, um Yes, that's exactly right. Anyway, we want to change. Okay, you answered already my, my, we're getting close to the end of our time together, but you already answered this question. But, but I, I want to say if... COVID and the post-COVID uh, move away, at least for offices from downtown, we don't want to see a, 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 a rotten downtown or urban blight or any of these terrible mm -hmm. things that we've seen happen in other cities. So you've really, it's been a call to action to, to, to develop these programs, to incentivize people to bring the vibrant residential community downtown. What insight from this program is going to bleed on into the rest of the city? You mentioned a whole bunch of other places. We focused on downtown, but you've mentioned a whole mm -hmm. bunch of other 
parts of the city that could really use an infusion of imagination and encouragement to become the next seaport or whatever. Mm -hmm. or what other programs within Boston uh, are, are being explored to really re revitalize some of these more marginalized communities? So I guess I'd say a couple of things. So I think that the mayor made mention at a recent speech in October that she was considering other forms of uh, to, of providing resources to support uh, other kinds of housing production um, that weren't just office to residential. So I think that's one way in which some of the thinking and things we've learned here has been important. You know, the value of having, we have an existing sort of development review team that does a great job, in my opinion, at least managing a huge pipeline of proposed development, giving, supporting that staff further with more, more people who can basically help them carry development interests from, from the time they're approved here all the way into construction has been a real value. And again, the truncated and clearer process uh, for Apple, sort of regulatory review process is something I think we're also saying that needs to, we, we can bring things we're learning from that over into our regular modernization. Uh, but maybe if I'm talking more holistically about downtown as opposed to my uh, sort of narrow uh, business uh, side here would be to say the, the programming of the space in terms of like events, things that make uh, the uh, the neighborhood exciting multiple times of year, multiple times a day, multiple times a week is really essential to uh, creating the energy in the city that we, we want to see. And places that have done it, you see some of that in, in Seaport right now. The places that have done it well and invested in it are really seeing the dividend. So I think if there's a thing that's not necessarily like a, a conversion activity, it would be like more programming is going to be essential. So I, I hope we've piqued the interest of our listeners. Either they be they're developers or potential residents of these buildings that have been converted, yeah. or perhaps just people like me who just want to see more people on the street because we know that's what makes our city great, makes it safe, makes it uh, interesting. So where can our listeners learn more about your office, your program, this particular program, and just where the Boston, where what Boston sees as its, its goals for the future? Sure. So um, we have a downtown plan that. Um, so we had a downtown kind of action plan that's about a year old uh, that contains um, focus on look at this. And we also just passed at the BPDA board last week, a downtown plan. Uh, both these things are on our website, um, as well as the information about office to uh, residential conversion. Um, so I think most of the stuff's there. And, and I think people should come to our website and see some of the exciting stuff we're into. Well, I wish your program a lot of luck. It sounds like at least your vision is inspiring. Let's hope uh, where the rubber meets the road and implementation, it gets picked up. Uh, so thank you very much for your time today, Arthur. You've been a really uh, great guest, a fund of information, and I hope you'll consider coming back with, uh, if you come up well, with I'd it. I'd love to do it. I'd love to program. come back and talk about zoning. I'm All trying right. to make we'll zoning really exciting to everybody. I'm happy to talk about it. We'll do zoning. That's We beat that drum here quite a bit. So if we want to talk about zoning, we'll double back. But you've been a great guest. Thank you for joining me today, Arthur. Hey, thank you. This has been another episode of Hubwonk. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. It would make it easier for others to find Hubwonk if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about future episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.